0: Chapter 3. Family and Education by Randy Booth I presume that most, if not all of you, are persuaded of the absolute necessity of Christian education. I suspect that many of you have been fully engaged in the process either through homeschooling, online classes, or Christian day schools. I am sure you are familiar with the various intramural debates over curriculum and methods. The amount of materials and training is enormous, and the quality of material is constantly improving. My wife and I began homeschooling 25 years ago, and we are now watching our children educate our grandchildren. I have been the founding board chairman of two classical Christian schools. I have lectured at numerous education conferences and produced a series on the necessity of Christian education. So, what can I say to you that is not old news? How are we doing after 25 years? Where are the gaps and where does our focus need to be now? There is certainly much to commend. Nevertheless, there is much left to do. Education is far more than a good curriculum and organization. If you've been at this for very long, you know that the ideals and realities are often far apart, and the frustrations and disappointments can be overwhelming at times. If our goals are unclear, then it is possible that our labor could be, at least partly, in vain. Jesus asked, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world, and is himself destroyed or lost? Luke 9.25 What kind of children does God want? This is the question. What would his report card look like? Someone's Religious Controls Every religion vies for power and control of our culture, and everyone has a religion. One of the most useful tools in the quest for power over the lives of men is found in the education system. John Kenneth Gilbreth regards it as the successor to land and capital, as the most important determinant of who controls whom. George Orwell observed in his novel, 1984, Who controls the past controls the future. Who controls the present? controls the past, end quote. Understanding that whoever has power over the mind has power over the culture, Orwell had one of his characters declare, quote, the party is not interested in the overt act. The thought is all we care about. We do not merely destroy our enemies, we change them, end quote. Author Herbert Schlossberg observes that, quote, education is a series of religious acts in part because the power of assumption is so great. Assumptions, in fact, are more powerful than assertions, because they bypass the critical faculty and thereby create prejudice, quote. Government education assumes God to be irrelevant to the educational process when, in fact, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, Proverbs 1.7. Such false assumptions by the government schools can then be combined with arguments that prove, quote, the truth of what is false, the false assumption is additionally beguiling because it often appeals to one of the worst instincts—the desire to be fashionable or at least to avoid being associated with the unfashionable or unpopular. Quote. The biblical goal of education. We read in Malachi two fifteen, but did he not make them husband and wife one, having a remnant of the spirit, and why not? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit. God's purpose is to fill the earth with godly people, and, therefore, this must be our goal in educating our children. Education provides the tools, and those tools will be in the hands of someone who can use them for good or ill. Good tools must be in the hands of good men and women. Good tools in the hands of those who do not serve Christ are dangerous. Indeed. Their spiritual condition and the content of their character are far more essential than a high GPA. The Proverbs set up a clear contrast between the wise and the foolish. The Bible starts with the assumption that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, Proverbs 22.15, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 1, seven. I have known some very smart fools. I have also known many who struggled academically but who have shown themselves to be very wise. True wisdom is the biblical goal of education, and biblical wisdom has certain characteristics that are essential. It has ethical content that is rooted in the truth and authority of God's Word. Biblical wisdom is humble, and humility in turn is gracious and grateful. Biblical wisdom manifests the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Galatians 5.22-23 At the end of the day, if your family is not filled with a good bit of joy, laughter, kindness, and respect, then the education you are providing is insufficient and flawed. The Sower and the Seed In the parable of the sower and the seed, Jesus describes the various soils the seed fell upon. His description of the good ground shocked me the first time I noticed it. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Luke 8.15 Where did these noble and good hearts come from? I would contend that, by and large, they were the hearts that were cultivated by godly parents. Cultural Transmission Parents Represent God As I pointed out previously, as Christian parents, you have handed your children over to Jesus in baptism, and He handed them back to you to raise for Him. You are Christ's representatives to your children. From you, they will receive an education about justice and mercy, law and love, truth and beauty, loyalty and sacrifice and everything else that is important in life. An education that is void of these things is of little value. God is, or should be, the environment of your child, constant and total. As the church equips the saints for service, parents and their agents, who are outposts of the church, must also equip their children for service in the kingdom of God. A comprehensive and unified Christian view and way of life is therefore what God requires of parents and their agents. Parents are responsible for the kind of worldview their children are taught, and for the kind of instruction they receive in specific subjects. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe, to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Joshua 1.8 It is not enough to believe that the education of the home and the school must be Christian. It is one thing to have a general belief concerning how things should be. It is another matter altogether to be able to articulate that belief and able to persuade others of its necessity as well. Your calling is to inculcate, that is to internalize, in your children affection for the things of God. In order to do that, your heart must first be turned toward them, and, in turn, their hearts will be inclined toward you. No checkbox system can possibly produce the kind of children God calls us to educate. Now, I hope that more and more Christians are realizing that there is, in fact, no neutral ground in education or anywhere else. Nothing can be taught apart from some religious presupposition. Certainly, some parents homeschool or place their children in Christian schools in hopes of avoiding drugs, sex, violence, disease, and so forth. But the purpose for Christian education is not to facilitate flight from the surface symptoms, but to counteract the source of that infection. Only an education that is self-consciously Christian and full-orbed is equipped to provide a moral and academically competent education for our children. We must provide the hothouse that prepares students for the harsh warfare of a world that is hostile toward God. Ignorance and innocence are not the same thing. We are not protecting our children in the long run by shielding them from the world. God has called us to teach them how to live in this world, in this history. Schools are central in the transmission of a culture. A worldview is exactly what a child is given in school. We must understand the strategic importance of the current educational establishment in the re-paganization of our current culture. If we are to have a truly Christian culture, it is essential that we have a self-consciously Christian education at every level, and in every field of study producing godly men and women that adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, this is an extension of the work of the Church through our families. Families in turn educate children for Christ. NURTURE IN THE LORD Christian nurture is at the heart of true Christian education. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Malachi 4, 5-6 We seek to win the heart of the child, and we only do that when our hearts are directed toward them. If you do not have a heart for your child or your students, then there cannot be a Christian culture. We love them in spite of themselves. The goal of all our instruction is to help them, to reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering. Our call is to shape the ideal man, who would be able to take his place in the ideal culture. Moreover, the goal of our education is to bring that culture about. We are here to accomplish nothing less than the enculturation of the future citizen. So then, education is not just a bound curriculum. It is enculturation. Every aspect of enculturation. The Bible tells us to bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Ephesians 6.4 The Lord Jesus Christ tells us to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our souls, and with all our mind. Matthew 22.37 The many years that are devoted to formal education greatly impact the direction and thoughts of our children. Parents desire their children's success intellectually, socially, and physically, but most important for the Christian parent is the child's understanding and application of the Christian faith. Providing Christian education for our children is costly, but not nearly as costly as the alternatives. Problems in modern American society and education are frightening to parents. Christians should not be surprised at these problems, since they are the expected result of a culture that rejects God. But Christians should not panic and retreat. God said, In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. John 16.33 It is with assurance of Christ's victory that we labor each day. Education is to be conducted in light of God's revelation of himself in the scriptures and in recognition that all truth is God's truth. We seek to raise a high standard for both Christian character and academic achievement. We're committed to a biblical worldview in all areas of life. Therefore, we want to teach children how God's word and world relate to all subject areas. Your commitment to provide the spiritual and academic benefits of a Christian education will affect your children and students for this world and for eternity. Furthermore, it will affect the future of our civilization. Christian education is not simply a luxury when we consider our responsibilities toward God. Children from Christian homes will learn to think God's thoughts after him and to view all facts as God-created, God-controlled facts. The sacrifices that are made will be blessed by God. You are always teaching, and children are always learning. There are no genuinely private acts. We are always connected to the community. Our attitudes, words, and behavior constantly impact others and, indeed, the entire educational culture. This is a critical lesson for us and our children to learn, the process of imitation. The Apostle Paul wrote, Imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1 A familial approach to education is therefore essential. This means you and your students love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. This means you love your students. This means you insist on your students loving you and loving the others around them. It means love is at the core of any genuine education. Love is demonstrated by obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Rebellion is the opposite of love. Love is doing for someone what they need, not necessarily what they want. The overly indulged do not know how to honor and respect. The attitude is, you owe me. The nurtured and disciplined know how to deny themselves and how to give to others. Of First Importance The most important lesson a child can learn is the lesson of respect. In fact, honor and respect are the only rules. All other rules are sub-rules of these. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. Ephesians 6, 1-3 This respect is shown in three fundamental ways. First, attitudes. There can be no true honor if there is not first a godly attitude. Rebellion is first nurtured in the heart. It is the product of sinful pride. Nobody is going to tell me what to do. Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah saying, These people honor me with their lips but their heart is far from me. Matthew 15.8 Children must show, and must be required by their parents and teachers to show, respectful attitudes toward their own parents and toward all those who hold superior positions over them, which is almost everyone. They should also display proper attitudes of respect toward their equals. Second, Words Parental authority must be honored and obeyed with the child's words and body language. Children must be trained to use the appropriate language of respect when addressing or responding to their parents and other adults. When a child is permitted to use disrespectful language or to ignore the adult who is speaking to him, this is a form of dishonor and disobedience. Furthermore, the scriptures teach us that we are to pray for those in authority over us, which would include our parents and teachers. Therefore I exhort first of all, The supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. 1 Timothy 2, 1-2 Third, Behavior Children show honor by their actions. Submission, respect, and obedience are demonstrated in what we do. I-service alone is not sufficient to honor those whom God has placed in authority over us. When we obey our parents and other legitimate authorities, we not only honor them, we honor God. This principle is taught in Colossians three twenty-two 22-24. Bond-servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye-service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord, and not to men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. In him we live and move and have our being. God is our educational environment. He is imminent, present in all his fullness. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs one seven. Therefore, Cultivating an awareness of His presence in our children is essential, the fear of the Lord, and the joy of the Lord. We accomplish this task also through free interjection of God and His thoughts into lessons and conversations, Deuteronomy 6, and through questions that necessitate the invocation of God and His thought. His thoughts and ways are not naturally our thoughts and ways. Belief and unbelief are mutually exclusive, neither allows any room for the other. Cornelius Van Til writes, All of us must stand together as one man. In this day, when boundaries between the believer and the unbeliever are so generally wiped away, we should seek to mark these boundaries anew and mark them well. We should seek to mark these boundaries not with chalk that disappears with the first rainstorm that comes, but we should try to mark these boundaries with indelible ink in the hearts of those who believe. And he adds, And anyone who comes to grips with it at all will sense the impossibility of thinking of Christian education as being 90 or 60 or 30 or 10% like other education, the only difference being that Christian education adds certain elements or emphasizes certain elements that secular education neglects. When viewed from this absolute standpoint, Christian education is not even a fraction of 1% like public education. The different conceptions of God that underlie the two theories cover every point on the whole front and cover them before and behind, without, and within. Education is a community affair. Unfortunately, the community has often failed. As a result, we no longer trust one another. We have often retreated to try and do it our own way. This must change. Some have viewed the Christian school Or homeschool as a place to retreat from a corrupt culture and secular education, a place to shelter our children from the harsh realities of modern culture. They become retreats from the world while we wait for the return of Christ to rescue us. Students are sheltered and often naive. The antithesis to this is seen in the few Christians who recognize the need for Christian education to be a boot camp that prepares children for service in the world. Rather than retreating from the culture, Children are prepared to conquer the culture for Christ. They are exposed to a wide variety of things from the culture in the context of a distinctively Christian philosophy of education. They are given the tools of learning that will serve them for a lifetime. The church is the hub of our community. Our families and the education of our children must be in the context of a covenant community, the church. I'm not saying the school must be governed directly by the church, but neither should they be disconnected. While we might recognize the fact that our secular culture and schools are falling apart, there is apparently little recognition that our evangelical culture has similar problems. The modern church often does not have a distinctive Christian worldview either. It has no epistemological center. Until families are oriented first toward the body of Christ, Most Christian schools and homeschools will continue to reflect the superficial nature of the modern evangelical faith. Christian schools are a cultural manifestation of a particular Christian subculture. If that subculture is in crisis, then the education of the children will reflect it. A few comments about schools and homeschools. Christian school versus Christian homeschool. If we recognize that the church is the center of the community, We will be well served. Yet, I see the insecurities, the strife, the jealousy, and the party spirit. But we are on the same team. This is not a competition. Even our striving should help us all to grow. It is really helpful if we will all admit that none of us have arrived yet. We are all doing something wrong. We all need help and encouragement. We all need criticism. I see great successes and great disasters all around us. Adam and Eve homeschooled with mixed results. Of course, they really did not have many options. All of our efforts at Christian education require an enormous amount of God's grace. You are not capable of giving your children the education God requires, not alone. Even the best families need the grace of God because even the best families fall short at many points. The best schools are loaded with problems because they are loaded with sinners. I am a fan of all kinds of Christian education, but I am not a fan of every Christian school or every homeschool. I've done both, and I have succeeded and failed at both. We are to be willing to say that and believe it. Problems As a movement, homeschooling has some serious problems. If that statement shifts you immediately into defensive mode, then that is the first problem. Christian schools have at least as many problems as home schools but they also have an abundance of critics to have to deal with on a daily basis. The sooner we all face the fact that we are needy, that we need God and the church, and we need each other, the better off we will be. All movements tend to produce extremes. Movements are usually reacting to some failure in the current system. We often do not have many choices. Reactions tend to be overreactions, and so the pendulum swings too far in the opposite direction. Moreover, movements tend to attract extreme personalities, and thus the super-homeschooler is born. Every detail is absolutized, from the kind of brand that should be in your breakfast muffins to the exact list of books that must be read. These well-intentioned personalities tend to drive a movement, rolling over whoever gets in their way. This produces feelings of inadequacy in those who cannot quite live up to the standard. It also gives the movement a black eye as others now react to this overreaction. Movements can easily latch on to ignorance and to well-intentioned enthusiasm, elevating some things to a legalistic level, tying the shoelaces very tight. Among some, remember, I am speaking in very broad categories, there have been some monastic tendencies. A Withdrawal from Society in a Unique Subculture Rather than remaining in the world, there is a Gnostic tendency to create an alternative world. We are called to be salt and light in the world where God has placed us. As Christians, we cannot possibly reach a world with which we have no contact. As the late Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper wrote, Far more precious to us than ever the development of human life is the crown which ennobles it, and this noble crown of life for you and me rests in the Christian name. That crown is our common heritage. It was not from Greece or Rome that the regeneration of human life came forth. That mighty metamorphosis dates from Bethlehem and Golgotha. But in deadly opposition to this Christian element, against the very Christian name, against its salutiferous influence on every sphere of life, the storm of modernism has now risen with violent intensity. There is no doubt, then, that Christianity is imperiled by great and serious dangers. Two life systems are wrestling with one another in mortal combat. If the battle is to be fought with honor, and with a hope of victory, then principle must be arrayed against principle. Then it must be felt that in modernism the vast energy of an all-embracing life system assails us, then also it must be understood that we have to take our stand in a life system of equally comprehensive and far-reaching power.